Hey friends, welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. We hope you enjoy what you're listening to, and may you find peace and grace in all the words that are before you. And if you would like to follow along, um, it's on page 42 in the New Testament section. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly, I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. If any of you put a a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, where their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. May God add his blessing to this reading. Amen. Kind of a hard reading to add blessing to, but we'll do our best. (laughs) Um, So Jesus has been making his way the past few uh, Sundays that we've been in these scriptures. He's been making his way towards Jerusalem. And if you can recall what happens in Jerusalem to Christ, is not the most lovely experience. The last week of Christ that he spends in Jerusalem is one where he is betrayed by his best friend, he is uh, tortured and then murdered, um, and then he raises from the dead. So this is Jesus moving towards this area in his life, and he's moving towards that space with his disciples alongside of him, his 12 followers. And if you can recall a few weeks ago, Jesus was asking his followers Uh, Or he was saying to them, hey, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Like basically the the Pharisees are the teachers of the law. They're the ones that have the answers to all the religious questions. Most of them were probably really wonderful people, but there were enough of them that kind of soured the pot towards the people there of where where the Pharisees had didn't have a relationship with God in the same way that God was desiring them to. They were very much about doing the right things, upholding the correct traditions, and making sure everyone did the right things alongside of them. But there wasn't that heart connection that was happening with the Pharisees. And when Jesus says to beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod, Herod is a king of Judea and Israel during that time. He was appointed there by Rome, and so Rome really moved through Herod to get their agenda across. A yeast is a type of of live particle that functions in bread to make bread change its shape to something different. 
And Jesus is, is saying to his disciples, beware of these things because they can actually affect you and change you if you put more focus on the things of the Pharisees, right behavior, perfect living, or if you put your attention on Herod, being used by empire towards things that are not of God. And so he moves into this space of asking them, beware of these things. And he says here that we, that they are supposed to cut off anything that doesn't quite belong. And I think what Jesus is saying here is that it's, it, we could look at this and think, oh, it's all about sin management, trying to make sure that I do the right things and I have the right behaviors and I make the right choices. I don't think that that's necessarily what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not talking about sin management or correct living first. Jesus is asking his disciples or inviting his disciples to have the heart that is open to Jesus, open to the purposes of God. He says, hey, if, if, you, if you see someone who just gives a cup of cold water in my name, they might be a stranger to you. They might not have ever been baptized or done the right things or ever joined the church or anything. But if you see them doing something that is good in my name, don't stop them. They're doing the right thing. And he's saying it's about the heart that's behind the action that motivates a person to do the right things. When you give your life over to Jesus, when you invite Jesus into your life to impact and influence everything that you do, what happens is the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, then makes the Spirit's home within you. When I was a child, I was always told that you have to invite Jesus into your heart or ask Jesus into your heart, which is a sweet thing to say, but I always thought that meant that Jesus like set up a, like there was a fireplace in my heart with like a bed and he like hung out there. <laughs> Obviously, that's a simplistic way of seeing it, but really it's inviting Jesus to live, to be the source of your life. No one can live without a heart. We cannot survive without a heart. And to invite Jesus into our heart is saying, I cannot survive without Christ. I need Jesus to be the lifeblood that is flowing through me. Therefore, salvation then becomes something that is where you are living into what is already true about you. It's being eternally minded. It is moving from living this one way that wasn't living towards anything of goodness, and it's going into this eternally minded sort of a space. The way that I see this, and this is an example I think I've used before, but I see it like we, like our lives are like a teapot. If we think of our lives like a teapot and we think of God as one who flows and pours into that teapot of our life, then we are supposed to sit there with God and be changed by God and to be uh, moved into something brand new once that water, once God is poured into our lives. And then we are supposed to sit in that space with God and allow God to transform everything about us, all of our essence, all that love flowing in, and it ruminates, and it changes, and it adapts, and it is good. But if we sit in that space with just me and God, in the warmth of it all, then eventually what happens is we become cold, and we become bitter, and we're not good for anything. 
Our, if we think of our lives like a teapot, a teapot is designed to function to be poured out. And so as God pours into our lives, we are then meant to pour into the lives of others. As God pours in the yeast of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that transforms everything around us, we are meant to sit with that for a moment, to allow that love to transform us once again, and then to pour that love out onto others. If anyone gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water in my name, they are for us. And they are not against us. And I think what Jesus is trying to explain in this is that there are certain behaviors or influencers or patterns of being in our lives that can create a distortion of you. It can kind of create some sort of a destruction within you that happens in our lives. Who you truly are can be distorted by different sorts of habits or behaviors. And it can cause not only harm within yourself, but it can cause harm to those around you. So Jesus uses such such strong and harsh language. He's not really saying cut yourself off. He's not really truly saying that. But he, he's using, using this extreme language because he wants us to see what kind of yeast in our lives is actually distorting us towards wrong areas and incorrect sorts of, uh, we aren't living out the kingdom, instead we're wanting to be influenced by those around us. The safest and healthiest action that one of us can take, that we can take towards these sorts of things, when we think of it as like an infection of gangrene in our lives, the safest thing that we can do if you have gangrene on your foot is to actually have it cut off. If it is not healing through all of the antibiotics and all the things that are happening, you have to actually have an amputation so the infection doesn't spread throughout the rest of the body. I believe this is something that Jesus uses in this example for not just as us as individuals, but also within the community. What is happening in the community around us? that is actually causing an infection of sorts? What do we need to see that is causing us not to, not to participate in God's kingdom as a community, and instead we are focused on ourselves? What needs to be seen and removed so we can best live out God's kingdom in our lives? I think Jesus is beginning this passage of, of showing that, it, that if somebody is not against us, they are for us, because Jesus wants to, everyone to know that what is already true about you is already true about you. Who you are, who God has made you to be, is already so beautiful and so good. In uh, Psalm 139, I was reading it this week, it says, the psalmist says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. That, that verse, you created my inmost being. That word inmost being means the seat of emotion and affection. It means who you are, like how you give love and how you receive love. It means like the core of who you are. And I think what Jesus wants us to see is that there are there's a core to who you are that God has already created you as. And there's other areas of influence that come into our lives 
that distort that beautiful creation that God has made and called very good. And Jesus invites us as his disciples to learn to live in such a way that's already true of you. And the way that we do this is we follow Jesus' example. We read the scriptures and get to learn what Jesus did by living out the kingdom of God. But it also means that we are discipled by other people who are Jesus' followers as well. That could look like just a mutual discipleship that you find with someone. It could be a source of accountability in your life. I grew up homeschooled, as most of you know. I I grew up homeschooled by a mom who was not athletic at all. She was highly academic, but she knew that we were supposed to take PE. It was like part of the requirements, and she did not know what to do with us for that, besides like sending us into the backyard and jumping rope, which doesn't last for very long. And so she signed us up for the local swim team, and we had practices every day. Now, we weren't in a place where we would drown in the pool, but we certainly didn't know how to swim. Usually you start people off on like swimming lessons or whatever, but she's like, swim team, you're in. And that's what we did. It was everyday PE. And so we joined this, the local pool and we started swimming. And I, because I didn't drown, I could definitely, I mean, I, I managed to get from one end of the pool to the other pretty quickly. And, but I still couldn't breathe to the side. It was a lot of like swimming and then breathing like this, like dog paddle and coming back in. And I had to wear a little nose plug because I kept getting water up my nose. And there are certain strokes I had to learn. Every month I was on the swim team, I began learning a little bit more about the right technique and becoming stronger. My muscles began to understand the movement they were supposed to take. I learned the best techniques for the best outcome for how to swim. In the beginning, I only knew the basics. I barely knew a freestyle or a cross stroke. I knew how to get from one end of the pool to the other without drowning, but that was about as far as I could get. But over time, I improved. I understood that with butterfly, there's like this old-fashioned keyhole that you're supposed to do when you do the butterfly. I didn't know that before. I learned that once you start breathing to the side, if you only breathe on one side, then your stroke becomes lopsided. So you need to learn how to breathe on both sides in freestyle. There wasn't an if I knew how to swim, then I would have great results, like I'd win medals and I'd win ribbons at swimming meets. It wasn't if I knew how to swim, I would be a great swimmer. There was no if or then with swimming. I knew how to swim. I knew how to swim the moment I could get from one end to the other without drowning. I knew what I was, but I was not going to win medals without improving of what I already was. This is true about you. You are already who you are. God has already made you into this beautiful creation where he knit you together in your mother's womb, where he created your inmost being, the core of who you are. You are the kind of person who gives a cup of cold water to a person in need. It is part of God's creation and design of you. That is true of who you are. But there are different things in our lives that distort that version of who we are that have to be cut off. And so we practice what it looks like to grow more into who we already are. 
Marriage is another example that I've used before of this as well, where you, when you get married, when you stand before the pastor and you stand before God and all of your friends and family, you are committing your life to another person and you then become a husband or a wife in that moment. Are you awesome at it right away? No. No, most of the time we aren't doing things correctly. We mess up all the time. We put ourselves first. We belittle our spouse We know exactly how to stick the knife in and turn a little bit just the right way. It is a a work in progress to become the thing we already are. We learn how to love each other well. When I was first married, I joined a women's accountability group. There were... We were living in married student housing, so a lot of young married couples in Southern California going to college down there. And we were all like, all of us girls were like, oh, we could, we could use some help. Let's, let's get together. And so we joined and we created an accountability group where we discipled each other, where we got breakfast together once a week at 6.30 in the morning, and we would talk about how hard marriage was and what the encouragement we had for each other, the things that we learned from other people who had discipled us in our past. We would pray over each other. We would hear the burdens that we all carried. And then we would leave that week feeling refreshed like we weren't alone. This is what it means to live into who you already are, to practice becoming a better part of who you already are. You are already a child of God. You are already loved fully by God. And there are areas in our lives, ways of behavior, ways that we are not living into God's design for us that have to be severed and cut off and removed so we can truly be who God has created us to truly be. It is already true of you. We're going to go into our time of communion, and this is our time of being reminded of the true identity that we have as the beloved child of God. But it is also a time where we get to look inside and discover, is there something the Spirit is asking for us to be removed? More than likely, we already know what it is. And if we don't know what it is, there might not be anything, or maybe it's something that we're blocking. But it's important to ask, Lord, is there something that is actually disturbing the flow of your spirit in our lives? Am I not being poured out like you are inviting me to pour out because there's something blocking that pour? Is there something that is distorting God's fruit, the fruit of God's spirit in your life? So when you come forward, just be aware of those things. Lay it before the altar metaphorically and come and you can receive the bread which represents Christ's body broken for you and you can dip it in the juice which represents his blood shed on the cross for the forgiveness of all things. Uh, and ushers will dismiss you by rose. We practice open communion. I don't think anybody's new so you all know that. Uh, and we'll, we'll sing together a song of worship and we'll receive the bread and the juice. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you have created us, that you made us fearfully and wonderfully. God, we thank you that you created our inmost being in a way that that we discover our core, the core of who we are, that place of affection, that place of emotion, that you created that and you said it was beautiful and good. May we live into that place every day. Lord, we give you great thanks. It is for your glory we pray these things. Amen.